Right? Yeah, good enough. Now that since you've done it that way, Paul, now we're going to do next week is we're all going to live that. We're going to live that. Okay? What do you think of that? That'll be a full-time job, won't it? With God's help, though, it's, it's really where we need to be. Be thinking about the right things. Well, let's take our Bibles once again and let's turn to the book of John. John chapter 15. And uh, we're going to continue forward. I'm not sure how many times we've been in this, uh, in this section, but uh, today we'll probably finish this part of it anyway. Uh, fruitfulness and being in the vine and the father being, our hus- being the husbandman and you being the branch. John chapter 15, we'll begin reading at verse 1 and through verse 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And the men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you, should, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. And once again, let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, once again, we thank You for all that You provided us with. Thank you for the nation of which we've been able to, to have the freedom of getting together, like just like this, and worshiping you, the God supreme, all-powerful, awesome, omniscient, omnipotent. All of the other aspects, Father, and characteristics that make you, without question, a supreme, the supreme God of all. We bow at your feet, humbly, thanking you for all that you provide for us. Father, on this day, in these moments, we'd ask that you would quiet our hearts, help us to be reflective and open, that you would take our minds, our hearts, everything that makes us who we are, and relationally bringing us to a point that we've never been closer to you. That's the power of the Word. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would minister to us, through us, and Father, that you would be glorified, that the Holy Spirit would exclusively and ultimately be our sole teacher today. We thank you for what you provide us with, and for these that have gathered here today, we ask that you bless them and their families. Encourage them, uplift them. Father, we think of those that were not able to be here today, and we ask again for a blessing on them. We ask that you surround them with your love. Father, at this time of uncertainty and all the things going on in our world, may we always recognize you are supreme and fully and completely in control. We reach out to you now with anticipation for what we will gain as a result of the Word and the Spirit speaking. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, John 15 is a part of that section of Scripture that uh, Jesus, this being a Thursday night, from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17, is a very condensed sense in time. There's so much going on here, and so much that Jesus is saying to his disciples. Now, at this point, they're literally walking from the place that they, in, that they had their, their time of, of supper, their time that was the last time they'd be together, eating their last meal together. And uh, again, one more time, I know we've done it the last couple of weeks, but just so that you see the context, John chapter 14, verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. <laughs> Jesus is in a hurry almost to get where he's needing to go. Where are they going next? Well, we know that they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking there, chapter 15, him describing for his disciples, and how many are there right now? Eleven. Eleven. In fact, we find that there was a departure of Judas Iscariot, the one that really was not abiding in Christ. Never had. First John chapter 2, I believe verse 4, it says, they, they went out from us because they were never of us. Judas was, he was good too, wasn't he? Those disciples, as Jesus said on that night, there's someone here right now that's going to betray me. Who would that be? Who in the world? And Judas had played the part well. And Jesus knew exactly who he was from the very beginning. And I still, I just marveled the fact of that time, the place of honor that would have been to Jesus' right hand on that night was given to none other than Judas Iscariot. The love of the Savior is amazing. But let's turn back to chapter 13 for just a moment. Maybe we've done this too, but chapter 13, verse 1. And I want you to see something, again, that is just so prevalent through chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and particularly 17, as, God, as Jesus is praying to the Father that these things would take place. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father... Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. It's like loving them to the max. <laughs> loving them to the max. Jesus did that awesomely, didn't he? Is that even a word? I don't know, but you get it. Uh, to know that Jesus Christ loved them to the very end and with as much love as could possibly be, be given. Well, as we come to, to back to John chapter 15, we've went through the passage in the sense of the, the true vine is Jesus. The father is the gardener, the husbandman. He's the one that does the, the purging of the branches. He's the one that is looking to get uh, them to bear more fruit, we being the branches. And when we're abiding, when we're connected, when we're... And again, that word abide for another moment. What does it mean? What does abide be? Very simply, what does it mean? One with? To remain. To stay. That's something that we need to know, isn't it? If you're a Christian and you've trusted Christ, just stay right there. It's almost like we'll find it a little bit later, but you want to be where God's love is. Let's say you're taking a shower this morning. Where would you take the shower? This is going to sound really basic, but in the shower. You know where we're going to find God's love? Showering it in, abiding in Him. That's exactly where you need to be. Now, there's things that we talked about, and this is what we've been last two weeks. This will be our last time together, I think, in this, in this case. There are benefits of abiding in Christ. There are benefits to abiding in Christ. One we looked at first is salvation. That very essence of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. That life has begun. If you're in Christ, that life has begun. You have the life of Jesus within you. 
And then we looked at the second benefit, that of fruitfulness. And we spent all of last week, and even some of the previous one, talking about the aspects of fruits. Very quickly, I'll go through those. Uh, first, the first one, which, uh, which almost seems not even really part of fruit. But I'm going to tell you something. If you really want to be fruitful, if you really want to be a fruit-bearing Christian, that sense of the fruit of repentance is certainly first and foremost. We must be sorrowful for sin, not the consequences of sin. We talked about this. Now, Mr. Judas Iscariot, he turned out after the fact, as he told Jesus, he told the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was really into money. He really loved money, didn't he? He was a treasurer. We know that he was stealing from it. This, the gospels mentioned such. He was into money and power and prestige, and he could not imagine that Jesus, this supposed Messiah, this one of which he was coming along for the ride, would not take control, be the king of Israel, and then they would be in the dough. They would be in the dough. And finally he saw, that is not going to happen. I need money at any cost. Now think of that in the, in the sense of eternity. Judas Iscariot will pay the price forever in hell for selling our Savior out for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus at the very end, you know, he loved him to the very end. He loved Judas to the very, very end. He extended his hand of love to the one that would betray him to the very end. A magnificent love that we can't even possibly begin to understand. The fruit of repentance. To want to resist sin. To want to resist sin. No tolerance. Again, we're not perfect. By no means are you going to have a perfect repentance. But it, I, I said it last week, uh, uh, and I'm so glad that God just takes them one at a time. Those sins, you know, those ones that beset us, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. He doesn't just bring his whole bucket, and you get certified letters, and they just go, poof, fix all of that, please, and then we can get back together. You know, it usually just takes one at a time, doesn't it? And that's enough. That's enough. Just one at a time. And you know who gives us the strength to overcome that? Is God himself. Because if you're trying to do it, guess what? How effective are you without abiding in the, in the, in the, brand, uh, in the vine? You can't do nothing. That's what it said in our text, isn't it? You can't, you're, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Secondarily, we found what we would call spiritual attitudes or attitude fruit, as we mentioned last week. We find those in Galatians chapter 5. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Those are the attitudes behind your actions. You think of all of those things stated, and, and behind the behavior that you are, the lifestyle, what you really believe you live, but behind that is setting it up is the fruit that comes from the inside. Love, joy, peace. Boy, if we could get love, joy, just the first three, if we could just smother our country in that, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? But it's the fruit that happens when we abide in Christ. Then we talked about the praise fruit, uh, worshiping and praising God, having a love for truth. We talked about giving. And in fact, in the, I don't know, did you get to that today, Paul, in Philippians chapter 4? talks about having given gifts to Paul. Those, I'm not sure which church that was. It fails me right now. But the point of the matter is, Paul, in another passage we used last week, uh, Paul the Apostle, he actually spoke of the fact, I was in need, but it wasn't me that really needed. It was after the fruit that you provided in giving the gift. And you know that as a fact. When, when there's been someone, there's a need that God has laid on your heart, and you've reached down and you've given, you got more than you gave. There's something that happens that God uses to instill a sense of bearing fruit. 
that others can use. And there's seed within that fruit. The sense of giving. And then there's what we call, I may have already, I may have misspoke just a moment, but the truth fruit. Communicating and edifying the Christians are all of the gifts that you have and the, the sense of all of the fruit is literally given to build up, to edify, to encourage, and doing it with love. Ephesians 4.15. One of the verses sometimes is the hardest for us to get a, to get a rap on. And that is speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we really love to have, give them the truth. Give them the truth. A right uppercut. Give them some truth. And yet, clearly, it's supposed to be in love. It's like giving it in such a way that they receive it and it betters them. The truth, that is. Sometimes how we give truth is how it's received. I want to beat them over the head with truth. Most of the time, there's a sense of a wall. A rejection goes up. Paul was really good at giving them truth, wasn't he? Jesus Christ, now, it wouldn't be amazing. He would split through all of the stuff and be able to put his finger right on the issue. That rich young ruler that came to him, he left without eternal life. But he came and Jesus basically put his finger right on the most important thing on him, the thing that was God in that young man's life. And what was it? It was possessions. It was power. It was prestige. All of those things that made him look important. And God said, go and sell all that you have. And then, and he went, what did it say? He went away sadly. Nothing to talk about. But you know what? He spoke the truth in love. Are we good at that? Are we good at speaking the truth in love? It is a fruit when we're abiding in Christ. How do we get that? Again, the key of all of this, all of the fruit that's born in your life is really literally like a Romans chapter 5, verse 5. The love that is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit which is within you. That's where it all comes from, literally, is the love that is shed abroad in our hearts. Then we talked about the sense of behavior, which behind the attitudes, the gift, the fruit of the Spirit is also, there's fruit of a pure behavior, a conduct, an outpouring of what has really been started inside from the attitudes. And then lastly, the fruit that we really consider to be the, the culmination, and I mean, you know, sometimes is bringing others to Christ. That is the ultimate fruit, isn't it? That's all we can take with us from this, from this world. There's no side boxes, there's no U-Hauls taking stuff with us. But when we take others, Jesus Christ died for others, family, friends, relatives, all of those, those literally we can take with us to heaven. What a glorious thing that is, isn't it? For eternity. We can have some pretty tough days here, but I'll tell you what, all in all, we're okay when we're in Jesus Christ, bringing others to Christ. Okay, now that was the first two of the benefits of abiding in Christ. I'll just jot those down here. Salvation and fruitfulness. Number three, we're going to find, I believe, let's read it in verse... Uh, i got to get back to John 15. And let's read verse 7. John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now, it's amazing how we like to get to the end of that verse because it says, you're going to get everything you want, right? You got, come on, come on, come on. You guys are okay with that, right? It's a wish list. That is not what it means, though. But it does mean this. It does mean this. And again, this is benefits. I better write... Benefits of abiding. 
in Christ. You know what? Answered prayer is a benefit of abiding in Christ. Answered prayer. Answered prayer. Now, how many times have you waited for an answer to prayer? Anyone? Kids are way too quiet. There's just no, no one's going to raise their hand. No one's ever waited for a, for a prayer to be answered. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And sometimes that's the hardest place to be. We'd rather just have a no, and again, assuming that, our, that we we're looking for an affirmation or a yes answer. We usually phrase them that way, don't we? We, we want God to agree with what we've asked. It seems better that way. Well, you guys are tough today. You, no, nobody's kind of going with it. And yet, that waiting, that in-between time, what do we do with that time? What is God doing with that time? Do you think God doesn't know, and he's, he's having a little meeting, and he's trying to figure out? I just, you know, I just don't know what to do with Larry's request. It is so off the wall. I don't know where he came up with that, but I've got to think about that. I've got to think about that for quite a while, in fact. And I'm just going to, in the meantime, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll just have him wait. Do you think that's how it is? No, a thousand times no. Let's talk about prayer itself. What is prayer's purpose? To get what we want? Now, there's a lot of people approach it that way. They take that verse, and, and there's some things they forget about. There's two qualifiers, but let's just for a moment just take that verse. Many people see prayer as literally not us talking to God. It's us getting stuff from God. Now, why do I... And no one would really maybe necessarily admit that, but let's, let's think about when it's used. When do most people pray? When they're in trouble, right? And it's not the first thing they do. Like you, you get that letter, you get that, uh, you get that um, report from the doctor, you get that phone call that describes something. Ah, oh, it's earth shattering. You know what we usually do? We go into a meltdown. We call somebody else. We may talk about it, we may think about it, we may anguish over it, we may freak out, we have anxious thoughts. God sometimes isn't even the first place that we go to to talk about it with. But most of the time, prayer is used for the time we need something. <laughs> Correct? Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ here today, or if you, within the, the sound of my voice, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if you've never accepted him, if you've never taken responsibility for your sin that you can't fix by yourself, he's not hearing any prayer from you except one of repentance and accepting the gift that Jesus Christ died for. That's the first prayer that he is waiting to hear from you if you don't know him. Now, if you know him, then you're abiding in Christ. And if you're abiding in Christ, what is the thing that would be very important to you now knowing that your sins are taken care of, Christ died for you, you are in him, he's in you. We talked about that. In fact, we maybe should have taken that. But let's do that real quickly. I want to see when someone says that they're abiding in Christ, or if someone said, uh, describe for me your, your religion. Tell me who you are religiously. Now, that's almost against the law. You can't already say that anymore. But if someone was to come up and ask you, how would you answer that? You would say, well, I'm a Christian. You might even say, I'm a born-again Christian. Some have equated, I'm American, which is equal to a Christian. <laughs> that may have been some time back, but I don't recognize that as being anything right now. What does that mean, though? Now, there's many people. In fact, it's interesting. There's a lot of um, those rich and famous actors, uh, Hollywood. And I mention them because I'm seeing a lot of them 
on the screen, if you will, telling us how, they, how they're going to vote, which means they probably are enticing us to vote the way they do, exercising some sense of power or prestige over it. Now, it's interesting, those in power, those of having uh, professional athletes, all of those that are in higher limelight, uh, a lot of times it's like it's popular to say that you're a Christian. Now, if you are a Christian, it's not good at all for you in the short term. Because why? Because a Christian, if you are a Christian, you are, what are you trusting in? Where do you get your standard for truth? The Bible. How popular is the Bible today? Not very much. Depends on where you're at. That's one of the things we would think about maybe towards the end of today. I would like to really get ourselves in a, in a, on a mindset of how do we vote? Jesus is not on the ballot. I wish he was. That would be so easy, wouldn't it? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is running for president. I mean, check, right? I don't know who would be vice president, but the butt doesn't matter. He's taking care of it. But we don't have that choice, do we? We don't have that choice. In fact, this is scary. I'm going to say this, hoping I would be wrong, but I don't believe I am. Do you know Jesus Christ would lose that election today in our America? Isn't that something? The perfect man of God that literally he's, he's less than 24 hours away from giving his life for those disciples and for us here today that have trusted him as Christ, has trusted him as Savior, he gave his life from giving this, talking about abiding in the vine, that's how much love he had, and that Jesus, I don't believe, would win an election in this country today. What's gone wrong? Our hearts as a nation have turned away from God. They've turned away from God. But, even though Jesus isn't on the, I'm getting ahead of myself. You can tell already. Okay? I better, better bring it back in. Because one thing that is really important for us, particularly if you're a Christian and you've trusted Christ, and that is to vote biblically. Now, a lot of people vote by their heart. You've heard people that have voted by their pocketbook, right? I will tell you how God wants us to vote. By his word. By truth. That's one of the questions we must ask. What is the standard for truth for our leaders today? Well, let's come back to what we were talking about. Where were we at? We were talking about answered prayer. It's amazing to me how many times prayer is just something that is used, something that we just, we, we reach out there because we need some help from God. And it's amazing to me how valuable prayer is, especially as we systematically, routinely just speak and talk to God. Just having a conversation. There's so many mornings I wake up and I just say, Lord God, what do you want me to think about right now? Where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to be? And a lot of times I don't get that done, but I want to know. I'm interested in seeing where he wants me. See what's happening. What, what is that doing then? It's starting for me to reflect upon who that God is. Who is he from the scripture? What is he all about? What do I know about him? He is Literally, the Lord of the universe. He is the Lord of my life. So wouldn't we want to be in context of what we're praying about to fit the framework of who God really is? See, that's the key. In fact, let's come back to our two qualifiers, which are laid out for us. Uh, now, again, you know, we look at the back of that verse, verse 7. It says, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That's, that's kind of the part of the verse we like to just keep that together. Don't we just kind of suck that in there? And then there's the one, if you just pray in Jesus' name, which we do, absolutely, absolutely, don't, don't get me wrong, but it's like that's the magic formula. If you ask a prayer and end it with in Jesus' name, then you'll get that new car, that new home, that new whatever it is. 
<laughs> right? No. <laughs> no. Now, that's not to say he won't give you exactly what you ask for because there's a key. If you are a Christian and you're, and you're, look at these two things. First part of verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what does that mean? How much are you immersing your, your life and your mind in the word of God? How much are you soaking in the word of God? How much are you, you know, in Philippians 4, 8, what, are you, what is your mind thinking about? Is it being engaged in all of those things that are pure and holy and righteous and all of those things that make God even become more awesome and prevalent in your life? That's how his will literally gets in, or your will becomes in synchronization of his will. That's what prayer is all about. In fact, the more you pray about something, and that's sometimes what waiting is for. I found in my life, I haven't even known how to pray for something that I thought I knew how to pray for. Thank goodness, it tells us in Romans chapter 8, even when I don't know what, and there have been times I've literally laid on the floor and I said, God, I don't even know how to pray right now. I just know I'm in a lot of trouble. I don't even know what to pray. And you know what? Romans chapter 8 says this, that the Holy Spirit prays for me when I don't even know what to pray for. And he lives within us. (laughs) Cows are after today, aren't they? The prayers to God aligns our will with his. Now, you see, that to me, it takes me more time than others probably. If I just pray once, that's not enough. I need to get my, I, see, to get the right frequency. Have you ever been on the, uh, you guys got an old AM radio? Remember those old, they were about this big, right? <laughs> And we had one, uh, my mother had a, my mother and dad had, it was an old yellow one, and it got faded over the years. And I don't know why we kept it, because it was really kind of not very good. You get about two stations. But you remember how you turned it on, and just because you turned it on, that doesn't mean you got a station. That just means you got something called static. <laughs> okay, this sounds terrible, I'm sure, on a microphone, but, and, and, you, and you, so to just turn it on wasn't it. What, what, what did we need to do? We had to align the frequency. And so you had the big dial, right? Remember the big dial? And you start to dial. And then it would come in. And if you went past it, guess what? You would be past it. You see, that's really what prayer does for us, is to get our will on the same frequency as God's. Then what happens is we literally are at peace and joy comes, which is another one of the benefits we'll talk about, because there we're right where we need to be with God. And that's when our prayers are answered is when we are in line with what God's will is for us. Because we know this much. God knows more than we know. He knows what's best for us. And he receives glory when we line up with what he wants for us. And we get all the joy, all the blessings. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that what you prayed for you got, because there's a lot of things I remember I prayed for that I'm glad I didn't get. (laughs) Too many things. But the more I pray... The more I'm interested in communicating with God, the clearer and the more I align with where God wants me. Moves me in the direction that glorifies himself and is for my good. You know, it's, uh, some people use prayers as, you, know, you remember that, uh, the lamps, and of course there's a genie in a lamp, right? And then you rub it just right, and then the genie comes out and he grants you three wishes. There's a lot of people that see God that way. Boy, that's not a God I want. 
No, no, no. I want that God that knows all things, that is all-powerful, that is fully and completely in control. I want him to decide for me what's best. And when we're in that frame of mind, then our prayers literally become answered when we're abiding in him. When we're abiding in him. Let's go to uh, James for a moment. James. Let's go to James chapter 4, verse 3. James 4, 3. James 4.3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So you're asking for what reason? Totally for yourself. Totally for yourself. Then, oh, I'm sorry, I went, just stay in James. Don't, don't go back. I, I lost my spot here. James, and let's go to chapter 5 and verse 16. This is the flip side of it. James chapter 5. This was Jesus' half-brother who, after uh, seeing Jesus resurrected from the dead, all of those doubts, all of those things that he thought about his brother previously melted into the fact this is truly the Son of God. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Isn't that cool? That is fantastic. I want men and women that are righteous to be praying for me as well. And by the way, I want to thank you for praying for me and my family. That's of, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how I get along with that. Well, I wouldn't. Thank you for being fervent in doing that. I appreciate it very much. One, let's go to one more. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that great? Now, one thing I promised, let's go back. We've done this last week, but I want to do it one more time. Let's go back to John chapter 14. And let's look at verses 17, 20, and 23. You should write these down because this speaks very clearly of what Jesus had just previously said as they were at the place where they had their meal. And now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But more than that, verse 17 of John chapter 14. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. See, at the Feast of Pentecost, when the church began and the Holy Spirit literally descended, he then has been in those that have trusted Christ. Verse 20, same chapter. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and will make our abode with him. Did you see it? If you've trusted Christ, you have literally God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that is indwelling you. Know you not, you are not the temple of God that you have been bought with a price? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Isn't that, what, what a difference it makes. There's a, there's a man I'm praying for that is really, really struggling with alcohol. He trusted Christ about a year ago. And he has given his life to Christ. But you know what? There's changes. But he doesn't, God doesn't just go, flip a switch, I'd like him to. Wouldn't you like to be just sanctified? Just poof! That would be great, wouldn't it? Except how would you know how much it really cost him 
to save you. To watch all of those besetting sins. Just and click those away. One more. I didn't tell you the truth, did I? 2 Corinthians. Let's go there for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is very, very important as we think about the sense of, of living this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I think of that. Sometimes you know how a thought, it takes off and takes you in a place that you, it's almost like, have, have any of you kind of done some research on the internet and you get carried away? Okay, some of you aren't, you, you don't do that. For, for me, <laughs> for me, it's a place that I go to engage in under, and, and, and doing some undercover or some research work, okay? And I'll have, this, I'll have this thing in my mind, I'm very directed, very, very directed, and I'll get on it and then all of a sudden, Oh, yeah, how about that? And pretty soon, I'm, and I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm way off. And, and please don't tell me no one else has ever done that. No one's ever done it. Well, look at that. I'm a lone ranger. Well, I'll just tell you what. It's easy to do that if, if, you, if you get off on there. But here's the point. It's almost like I'm thinking about when I see that to capture every thought, it's almost like a cowboy roping a calf. Rope every one of those thoughts and bring them back into what? Into obedience. Brand them with Christ. Brand them with Christ. Because it brings it, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, all into reality. All into reality. Because then you're thinking about the right things at the right time. Because I know what happens. It's so easy to let that one thought, where did it come from? I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Control, rein it in. Rein it in. Okay. Oh, we got a couple. Did I tell you that was the last one? I didn't mean it. Jude chapter 20. Jude, find that little letter to Jude. Jude. Jude, verse 20. If you're looking for chapter 20, you're not in the right letter. Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. See, when you're, again, just praying with the, all of the intensity and, and according to God's will, that's when all prayers are answered. Well, there's another thing. Let's go back to our text, John chapter 15. Benefits. This one will be something that you may not necessarily count that way, but literally, it really, really is. Let's go to verse 8. John chapter 15, verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit... So shall you be my disciples. In other words, so you will know that you are my disciples and you're bearing fruit. See, when you're bearing fruit, there's something that really speaks out and there's a sense of assurance. I am in Christ. When you see fruit that others have told you about and how they've been blessed by your life, has something has come out of that. That's not because of you. There's so many unexplained things that you can't explain that God, because you're abiding in Christ, if literally fruit is being, has been being given to you, which gives us assurance for ourselves that we truly are his disciples. You think of, uh, well, I don't, I, don't know if I, I don't want to go down this trail personally because it just it doesn't seem right right now. But it's amazing how when we're abiding in Christ, there's things that happen from the inside of us that transpire into loving others, being fruit to others, that are encouraging others. And you know when you take a step back, those things could not have come from me. 
<laughs> they're not from me. They're from abiding in Christ. It's literally the power of the strength that comes from being in Him. The transformation that takes place literally gives us assurance. Let's go to 2 Peter for a moment. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll look at a series of verses here. 2 Peter 1, and we'll look at verse 4. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness... Now, again, did you see the word? His divine power has been given unto us through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Oh, my. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, guess what? Charity. All of these things be in you and abound. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor, guess what? Unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of that power is transferred and given to us, proving literally that we've been transformed by His power. So the first thing, what is, did you see that word diligence? How many of you are diligent about abiding in Christ? Well, that sounded guilty. Let me, let me say it this way. How diligent should we be of abiding in Christ? A lot. Because it's really the focus, isn't it? Again, abide means to remain, to stay, to not leave. Isn't that true? Absolutely. The assurance that we get. Now, look, look uh, one more verse that literally shows us that the disobedience, the disobedient believer literally loses track of reality. Verse 9, sec, if you're still there, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You, I'll show you someone that, that has, I'm going I'm to use the word backslidden. I don't know what that actually means, but it's, you know what the term in the sense of they've strayed from Christ. Okay. It's interesting to me, as you get it, and, the, and again, once you, once you take that corner, you take that cor- turn, and you're, you're not abiding, you're not getting up in the morning, and you're, and you're praying to God, and you're reading His Word, and you're getting excited about what He has for you, and you just kind of go your own way. You know, that is exactly what makes a difference. When we forget what Christ did for us, when we forget what He did for us, we lose track of real reality. It's very true, isn't it? We become blind, and we can't see things afar off. We forget that we have been purged from his old sins. Oh, I should write that down. Assurance. Let's see what I do with my... Here it is. Number four is assurance. Boy, who doesn't need assurance today in this world? Number five. You know it's coming. Let's go to verses 9 and 10. Back to John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Watch this. As the Father hath loved me, Jesus' words, obviously, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Another absolutely tremendous benefit that you receive of being abiding in Christ is love. Now, as we talked about, how do you get, it? How do you, how do you get in God's love? How do you, how do you stay there? How do you, how do, you do that? Now, it says that he loved us. In fact, 
Look at verse 12. It's not in our assignment or what we're doing today. Look at verses 12 and 13 for just a moment. This is literally less than 24 hours from when he's hanging on a cross. He says, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That is exactly what he did in literally less than a day. That much love, that much love. So how do you get that? How many feel that you're filled up with God's love? Again, you're not going to raise your hands today because that's just not what you're going to do. That's okay. But if I was going to ask and you were going to raise your hands, how many would you say, yeah, you know, I've got all the love I can possibly hold from God? No, you wouldn't, right? So how do you stay there? It's almost like continue being filled, right? Be filled with the Spirit. You know, you find that in another passage of Scripture. That's like keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit. It's the same thing. I want to be in God's shower of love. You got, if you've got the shower on, you've got to get in there to get wet. This, this afternoon, when I turned the shower on, and I could hear it. If I'd have just stayed there by the sink and, you know, shaved and stuff. and, Huh, sounds like a shower. You say, you're, Larry, you're so silly. But you know what? It's the same way for us. How could we possibly want to be filled with God's love if we're not in the shower where his love is at? Correct? We got to get in the shower. We got to get in the shower of love. Let's go to. Uh, I should have done this when we were back there, but that's okay. And that that love is unlimited, abounding, divine. He loved us before we loved him. Thank goodness he did. Let's go back to Jude for just a minute. Those of you that are searching for that, it's page 1914. But it's the next verse, actually. Watch this. Let's read verse 20 one more time, and then we're going to follow it with verse 21. Apologize, I didn't do it last time. Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, comma, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. Stay in his love. Now, you say, well, how do you, what do you, the shower stuff, okay, that sounds so ridiculous. Well, maybe it is, but I'm going to tell you this. If, if you're not in God's love, you can't possibly be filled with his love, okay? So how do you do that? You know, he answered that question back in John chapter 15. I don't know if you caught it or not, because oftentimes we don't hear what we don't want to hear. Are you kind of like that? Kind of like a blue healer? Tell them to come back. If they don't want to, they didn't hear it. Got that selective hearing thing going on? Yeah. Christians sometimes have selective hearing. Yeah. I'm being one of them. But you know how you, want it, how, how you stay in his love? Let's read it again. I want you to look for it this time. John chapter 15, let's read verses 9 and 10. As the Father hath loved me, this is Jesus, as Father God has loved me, God the Son, so have I loved you. Now, he's been talking about that for several chapters. Chapter 13, verse 1, it says, To the very end, to the maximum, Jesus loved his disciples. So have I loved you. Continue you in my love. Okay, now see that? Continue in my love. And you say, how? Verse 10. Oh, there it is. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. If you don't want to obey God's word, you're not going to be in the shower of love. So in other words, our actions will really tell us how we're abiding. This is all about abiding. All of these benefits are based upon your abiding. You can't possibly be in God's love and enjoying the shower of his love if you're not obeying his commandments. Obeying his commandments faithfully. Let's go to, uh, let's go back to, let's see, you're in John chapter 15. Let's go to John 14, and let's look at verses 15 and 21. 
It's not like this is the first time he said it. You know how Jesus sometimes had to say several things? Several times? <laughs> Does that happen? I remember with kids. We had five children. And it was amazing. You would get so tired of saying the same thing over and over and over. And I think my mother said, Larry, someday they will get it. <laughs> now, I don't know if that was me she was referring to. <laughs> I don't know. But, but it's true, isn't it? You have to continue to constantly be particularly. Oh, I want to share this with you for a moment. I think what's happened right now is we've lost, and speaking of America, in the sense of truth. We've been talking a lot about this in True Seekers on Thursday nights. But it's amazing that the youngest generation we have now, the Z-Gen, it seems they have so many things coming from so many different directions, media speaking, that they believe as a group. Now, this is, again, I'm, there's not, not everyone believes this, but if you would poll, the majority of, of the Z-Gen believe that you can't know truth. Truth is unknowable. Now, wait a minute. Right? But it's amazing, though. You listen to almost anything on, on any sense of social media or on the television, whatever it might be, and you'll hear two statements made that are totally opposite of one another, but said in a way that it was meant to be truthful. Now, what do you take a, what do you take a, a 16 to a 30-year-old? That's 30 years would be past it. But this is, say, 16 to 20 years old. I want to make sure I stay in this group. And they don't know the word of God. And they've never been taught truth is absolute. Now, that has happened several generations ago. We lost that probably back in the 1950s. That's where it started to fall away in the sense that we rejected truth in whole. Just didn't want to be bothered with it because we want to have our own truth. And as long as we don't hurt anybody, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Because how would you actually fight off evil and hypocrisy? With truth. If you have no truth, what makes evil evil? What makes hypocrisy fake? There's no way. Truth matters. So that was my second thing. If, then if you can't know truth, then truth really doesn't matter, does it? And yet, what are we doing right now? This is called reality. We're here. Even though someone might say, I wish I wasn't. But you are. And that's reality. And it's truth because truth mirrors or reflects what's reality. Right? Okay. Now, what is it then that the Gen Zs believe? Because if you're alive, you're believing in something. How is that determined? The number one, the biggest problem the Gen Zs see, and this is worldwide, Germany, Switzerland, you name all the countries, U.S., Canada, the number one problem from a polling statistic is... You guys want to guess? Climate change. You cheated somewhere, but maybe not. That is, the, that is, in fact, Mimi came up with the number one challenge and bothersome thing to our Gen Zs. Now, my question is, why would they believe that? They just said that truth probably isn't knowable. This is my point. You say it took a long time to get there. That's okay. Do you know what's not being repeated, 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 repeated? Is the word of God. Truth. Truth is not being repeated. So the thing that is repeated the most often is what they believe. Is that not true? You can see it even from the media. Now we're censoring truth. I watched that in the last couple of weeks. I haven't seen that before that I can remember. To censor truth. In other words, truth's not acceptable to be broadcast. What is going on? 
But if we can say the same lie over and over and over and over and over, and you get the idea, there's nothing left but to believe it. Because it must be true. Now, Jesus is repeating truth. I got, did you see that little branch? We went down on that little rabbit trail. Let's come back and let's look at chapter 14 and let's look at verse 15. Like I said, this is not the first time he said, If you love me, verse 15, keep my commandments. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Chapter 15, verse 10. Now we're going to go back to our text. Even today, let's read it one more time. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Do you see the connection? There is no way that you can get away from being abiding in Christ's in Christ, without having love and obedience together. Those two go absolutely hand in hand. What you love, you will obey. And what you obey, you can turn around and look and say, that is what is loved. You cannot separate those. You cannot separate those. Now, let's go to John chapter 17 for a moment. John 17. John 17, look look at verses 25 and 26. Oh, right. oh, now this is, now, just a moment now. Now, we, we've moved from, now, now the climax is just about to hit. This is chapter 17. We'll be a few weeks away from going there, provided the Lord takes us there. But chapter 17 is Jesus, God's son, reaching out to God the Father, literally asking that the things he's been talking about in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, that those things would come to fruition. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for these things to happen. So now watch, at the very last, the last two verses we have here, verses 25 and 26, he says this, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it that the love, watch now, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you see that? Now you say there's a whole lot of stuff kind of twisted around. I'm going to show you something. Or that was right there. It was showing us this. The very love that the Father has for the Son, that is God the Son and God the Father, that must be a love that is amazing. He's saying, I can't even imagine as Jesus was praying to God the Father, literally asking a little bit later that this cup would pass for me. Nevertheless, my, not my will, but thy will be done. Okay? That love that is between the Father and the Son is the same love that is in you. That's between the Father and the Son. I, I, got, I can't even expand upon that. It's so outrageously infinite. Infinite. But isn't that something? Not, not any less. The full love package. Everything. To the max. Is what God has literally given to us. Ooh. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's uh, pick up the reading in verse uh, 31. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. This chapter is so rich, so so exalting in the sense of its, its meanings to Christians. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. My goodness. It's amazing. So you have Jesus Christ who died for you, and then he's acting as a defense attorney for you, sitting at the right hand of God. As the accuser comes in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan, he's coming to accuse us, particularly if you're in Jesus Christ. He hates us. Can't steal us, but hates us. He wants, to, he wants to take away our testimony. He wants to take everything of which could be our joy. He's all the time just picking and digging and taking away. And here is Jesus acting as, on our behalf as our defense attorney. Now, when's the last time you saw an attorney die for somebody else? Whoa. What a marvelous thing to think of. Not only did he die for us, he's defending us even afterwards. Keep going. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sorrow? There's a lot of stuff written in there. All of you could have said at some point in time, yeah, I... Did that separate from the love of Christ? As it is written, verse 36, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, verse 37, Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if that doesn't pump you up, I mean, it just, oh, you almost, you can feel a relaxing in God's love. There's one more. Benefits of abiding in Christ, salvation, fruitfulness, answered prayer, assurance, love, and then our last one is joy. Talk to me about joy. Tell me what joy looks like. What does joy feel like? Anything about joy? Do you guys like joy? Or you don't like joy? Does anybody want joy? This is a tough, tough group. It's a tough group, isn't it, Joy? Joy. What is joy? How many have joy today? Anybody have the joy of the Lord? Enter into... The joy of the Lord. That's, that's going to be, when, when we get to heaven, that's one of the things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the fulfillment, the ultimate, shall we say. To literally be in his presence, that's joy on steroids, isn't it? And beyond. Joy. How long does joy last? How long does happiness last? It does, well, it can, but it could be gone like that, couldn't it? Poof. Because happiness is what? How do you get happy? Events, circumstances, yeah. And, and they go on the way you like them to go, correct? Because there's a lot. Of, it, it's, it's rarely if you have two contrasting opinions, not everybody's going to be happy with the results, right? There's unhappy and there's happy. But joy is way beyond that. In fact, this condition, quite honestly, in joy, when you're, when you're abiding in Christ, do you know that this joy is permanent? Watch, watch it. Let's go. Oh, I'm in Romans. Let's go back to, to John. Let's start closing down on this portion of it. John, 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 John. 
John chapter 15, and let's look now at verse 11. He's told us of all of these things that we have, these benefits. And then he says in verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That your joy might be full. Look at John chapter 16, verse 22. Just turn over a page. John 16, 22. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. <laughs> now, what was he talking about the sorrow? They literally, within a few hours now, they're Jesus, they're Messiah, they're Christos, they're anointed one, the one they were looking for, the one they thought would be the redeemer for the nation Israel. They were not looking at the biggest problem was in their heart, once again. It was more of a capturing from a nationality standpoint, a political scene. No. They were sorry because he was being crucified. But then you know what? It was a joy that no man could take from them when they would analyze and see that he was the giver of salvation eternally for them. What a majestic, magic, mad, uh, um, a monstrous and marvelous moment. No one could take it away. No one could take it away. Now Judas had walked away. He had walked away from all of these things. Now, think of that. Now, would you trade? Now, let's, let's slip into Judas Iscariot's shoes for a moment. There's 11 here listening to this. Jesus is giving the benefits of abiding in Christ. Now, we know Judas Iscariot was not abiding in Christ. So, literally, do you see what he gave up? Every single one of those. In fact, he would not be living very much longer either. His hope was gone. That 30 pieces of silver, can you imagine how empty those were in his pocket? In fact, it said that he threw him, and then he went out and hanged himself. Was he repenting? No, he was remorseful. Friends, today, to know that these things are benefits of being in Christ, can you really have a bad day? You surely cannot have a bad eternity, I can tell you that. Because when we're abiding in Christ, staying with him, remaining there, to think of that, all of those benefits that literally... And not only the good, the good part of this is God uses these benefits in other people's lives. That's what his whole kingdom expansion is about, is using others. Be content in whatever state you are. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, how, uh, again, I won't ask you anything today because you're not going to answer me anyway, but... Um, if you're, how many people are content around, let, let's just make it somebody else. Let's not make anybody in the room because I don't want to make it personal. How many people that you run into that are content, that are happy in the state they're in? Boy, that's a small group, isn't it? That's a really small group. It's a really, really small group. Being content. To be content. And, and think of Paul. Where was that? That was in Philippians, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, where, you know where, where Paul was at? Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was in prison. He wrote a book about joy in prison. And he's content. Is he whacked? <laughs> no. He's abiding in Christ. Do you see it? That's the deal. That's what it's about. Content. Contentment. In fact, uh, I may have shared this with you before, too. Um, Facebook. When you read a post or you go to Facebook, 60% of those that go there are depressed. Why do you go back? Because you've got to see what's going on. 
Well, and you say, well, wait a minute, why are they depressed? Because usually there's something that's gone on, something they see that they really would want in their own life and they don't have it, so they're, they're discouraged and depressed by it. It's amazing. In fact, I'm not sure it's not higher than that. Those are statistics of which have been calculated and polled. Whoa! Are they content? Good point. Look at uh, one more. First John chapter 1, verse 4. First John, how are we doing for time? We've got a little bit left. First John chapter 1, verse 4. This is the same guy, John the Apostle. We'll start in verse 1. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested, or shown unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, and you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 4. These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. Complete. Full. Exactly. When you're abiding in Christ, your joy is full. Is full. I want to take just a couple of minutes, and, and I hope I can do that. Yeah, I've, I've got a few minutes left. In the sense of, as we come approach, and I try to do this, I don't do it all the time, but when we have an election coming up, I mean, it's amazing how much God has granted us as Americans to have the ability, the opportunity, but also the stewardship to vote. Do you know that one in four Christians do not vote at all? I find that interesting. The Bible is all full of it in the New Testament, particularly, of being a good steward. That's a responsibility that we have. Okay? So how do we vote? How do we vote? How does one vote? As we look around the world, I actually saw this when, uh, I think it was back in the Clinton era, someone, there was a commentator that looked and said, he looks so good on the camera. What do you guys think about it? That's a good reason to vote for him. No. <laughs> or how many vote by their hearts? I just feel good about them. What does Jeremiah say about the heart? The heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? I don't trust my heart. How about, it's all about the economy, stupid. <laughs> There's some profound things behind that as well. How is this particular person going to address the economic problems is, is, you know, thou shalt not steal is a very strong commandment. Is that something that would be, that would be part of that agenda? Write this down. We won't take time today, but if God has a lot of things to say about government. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. God believes in law and order. There's no question about it. The law and order is for the citizen's sake. Anything that doesn't add to law and order certainly wouldn't be biblical. How about values? Are there some things that are more important than others? It's amazing as we start off in the creation of the world, there was things that God put in place, He Himself. Not, and, and there's a lot of there, there's narratives, there's dialogue, there's things within the Scriptures that, you know, just because um, oh, um, David had several wives or Solomon had an enormous amount of wives... Just because it's there doesn't mean God approved of it. It carried on and went through, right? But when God showed up at the creation of the world and spoke it into existence, and he populates it with a kingdom of animals and fish and wild, all kinds of things, 
And the first two people that he created and brought on the earth and gave them instructions to multiply was a man and a woman. It wasn't to, that, that, it's, I can't miss, I just can't miss that. That's, it's too clear. And the other thing is, is he's the one that gave life. He was the giver of life. The one thing I'm looking, let's just, now what is this? This is 2020. Let's go down to 2120. None of us probably will be here. If you are, you're going to be an old bugger. Okay. 2120. Just think of it for a moment. Now, I'm pretty sure that we will probably not be apologizing for having made a mistake on foreign aid or a trade deal. I'm, I'm not too worried about apologizing to our great-grandchildren about some of those things. Now, were they right or wrong? Could very well have been wrong. But the one thing that I am very, very concerned about that I think is absolutely something that we will apologize for and will be held accountable for is in the last 35 years in America, there has been over 61 million babies that have been killed. That's ghastly. And to think another 100 years... and. So if we are selecting or voting for men or women that expand on an agenda that does not believe in the sanctity of life from a newborn to an infant. Now in New York, it's legal to literally kill an infant that's born alive, that's on the table, has been made comfortable, and then they're going to visit to see if we should let the baby live. That, my friends, is so absurd and murderous, I can't even comprehend it. Those are things we need to stand on on the Word of God. Those are big things. Those are things that God put in place. Those aren't things that just happened. He put them in place. How do we vote biblically? We vote according to the Bible's principles. To its principles. Will it protect the citizen? That's what government is here for. God makes that very clear. Justice. Justice. God loves justice. And you know, ultimately, justice will rule. God's not going to be cheated. or There's not going to be counterfeit to justice. When you're voting, will this person promote an acceleration to more justice that's a very very strong strong thing God looks with a great deal of let's look at righteousness Proverbs chapter 14 let's go there from there's a I've got a lot of verses written down here but I know just in view of time we need to move on but Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34 Proverbs 14 34 look at this righteousness exalteth a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. <laughs> Why don't we throw that one on the wall, baby? <laughs> I want to go right tomorrow morning. I would love to meet with Nancy Pelosi, and I would like to put that one right on the wall. And I say, speak to that, dear. That's what it's about, isn't it? <laughs> We've lost our way. Hearts have turned away from God. Hearts have turned away from God. It's very possible because one of the things that's happened, and we I, I, you write this down again. It's always good to read Romans chapter one, verses twenty-four through twenty-eight. Three things that God has turned us over to: 
And the last one is turned over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that can't think, think clearly. Can't think clearly. It's principle over party. Who are, what is their standard of truth? That's a question I would want to know. What is their standard of truth? Where do they get their truth from? Is it just from someone that's powerful and prestigious and has all of the, the uppity-up stuff? I think you get the idea. Let's close with Psalm chapter 33, verse 12. Now, obviously, the, the psalmist in this situation had Israel in mind. But when you go back at the beginning of this nation, the United States of America, a republic, a constitutional republic, and you think about those men. I had some quotes, John Adams, that he said, I, I'm not going to get this exactly right. Um, oh, what was the word that he used? Um, Oh, yes, I'll I'll get it close. It's not perfect. But John Adams said something like this. Before you can have public virtue, you must have private virtue. Isn't that true? I mean, this virtue has to come from the people before you can get it at the highest level of government. That's where it has to start. That's where it has to start. Now, chapter 33 of Psalms says this. uh, Chapter 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. (laughs) I say amen to the highest heavens. And yes, Israel is in place. That's the picture of the psalmist. But that's why I keep saying, the founding fathers of the United States of America had God in their mind, and they were basing all of their future on trusting God. And when God is the Lord of a nation, blessed is that nation. May we turn back. May we vote biblically. We may take, and you say, well, there's... There's nobody to vote for. You just vote for that person that does the closest to the most basic principles of what God adheres to. I mean, God just screams of life. He doesn't have to scream, but he speaks of life and family, traditional family. We have gotten so far off, off, off base. Those are things that 100 years that we will be apologizing to our, to our, to, to our great-grandchildren. If we don't get this right, we will cease to exist. Prayerfully consider. One more verse, and then I promise. Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. You guys all know it. And again, it's, it's in Solomon's era. It's to Israel during Solomon's reign. But God receives much the same way. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Oh, God Almighty, the Master, the Sovereign Lord of all. Father, you are the one that spoke into existence what we know and beyond. A universe that we do not even know the extremities of. It is so vast, so magnanimous, it's beyond what we can even comprehend or see or calculate. It's to you, God, we lift our hearts, we lift our hands, we humbly bow before you 
asking you to forgive us of all of our sins. All of those things that literally keep us from being all that you want us to be. Father God, I've lifted this nation up as needing you more than ever before. As we have an election coming up and there are many choices, there are many things to consider, Father, may we be very careful to view it through the lens of the Scripture. May we take principle over party. May we be careful to prayerfully consider those things that seem extremely important to you. Father, our nation needs healing. Our nation needs you. I pray for the word of God, Father, to capture, once again, the hearts of men and women and children. That truth would be sought after. As it says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that evil is good and good is evil. Father, we've reached a dismal distancing from you. Father, would you call our nation's leader to yourself? Bring them back, Father. We reach out to you knowing that you are the only answer that we could possibly comprehend of all of the situations and challenges that we see before us that seem insurmountable. But as the angel told Mary in Luke, with God, nothing is impossible. Father, we want to glorify you. We want to honor you. Because when we do that, it's for our good. Help us, Father, to prayerfully consider all that is before us, bringing that before you, aligning your will, I'm sorry, aligning our will with yours, bringing us into the frequency where our joy and our peace come and remain. Thank you for the benefits that we spoke of today, Father, and abiding in Christ, salvation, fruitfulness, answered prayer, love, joy, assurance that we are your disciples. We think of that in, this, in the view of eternity. And again, how could we thank you enough to know that we're loved with the same love that God the Father and God the Son experience between themselves. We reach out, put our arms around you, Father, asking you to bless us. Not that we're worthy, because you've promised to Jesus and what he accomplished. Take us and use us this week for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.